There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Kia ora and welcome to Aotearoa Rugby Pod for the final episode of the year. We'll be back in February for more rugby action, but in the meantime, we're going to close out the year this year with as good a discussion as we can have on this year's footy, wrapping it up with some awards. We've got plenty to get through from your questions. Had over 50 emails this week from all of you, as well as the comments in YouTube. So plenty of correspondence there. We'll try our best to get to as many of those as we can. Russie's return as Springboks coach. Huge news. Eddie leaving. Not quite as huge news, but still pretty big news. We all expected it to come. More mature approach, I suppose, from All Blacks fans after not making it through the World Cup final with a trophy. Plenty to chat about. Of course, the WXV England get revenge and take the gong. So before we get into that, of course, people to bring into the show. James Parsons, for the last time this year, welcome to the show. Rugby season is... Pretty much over for the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, and it's uh, quiet weekends, that's for sure. I'm, I'm tuning into a bit of American sport just to get my sports fix. But, um, yeah, it's been an awesome year. Um, I, mean, I think the World Cup really capped off a great year of footy. Yeah, it's been fun. So we'll try, I suppose, to be as positive as we can through this as we try to. Plenty of rewards as well as looking back and maybe moving on from the Rugby World Cup chat, although <laughs> there's been some emails. Yeah, I must admit, <laughs> seeing the airport reception for the Springboks, that was amazing, man. That was that was something else. It, it, we touched on it last week, but what it, what it means for that country and the way they come out in, in droves is, is pretty awesome to see. The All Blacks as well, though. Yeah, you no. Know, I think they felt really good about the fact that people were there and proud. Yeah, and and they deserve to be proud, you know? Like, it's it's not an easy thing to win a World Cup, let alone um, that close. So th- there's a lot of hurt, but, you know, I think Sam Kane nailed it. Um, you know, he's he's been s- extremely, uh, you know, warm in the sense of um, the way the public's reacted to the side and him personally. And speaking of a welcome, Bryn Hall joins us. Welcome back from training, Bryn. Uh, is the ramen feeling good after another deathly session in your 14-day training camp? I tell you what, it's been a, it's been a hell of an experience, men. Um, <laughs> Jeff knows me pretty well, and um, yeah, seen a few Instagram posts and whatnot. But we've been working very, very hard. So resilience and character is probably the, the two words that I'd use for this camp, and we've probably used every every percent of it going into the last training this afternoon. So. Looking forward to getting home, though. I just can't get over how hard this must be. Like I said it last week, he is one of the fittest blokes I've ever played with. Like, the fittest. Probably just behind Mike Delia. And Oh, my gosh. I saw a video. He was, I think you're on a bike or you're doing a plate step and your face, like, you look literally look physically dead inside. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Jip. I've probably had a lot of those moments. Probably in the last two weeks and I've had in my whole career collectively. So I've had those moments where I just have been in the hurt locker, but um, I'm still here, obviously, and on the last show of the year, so it's not gonna it's not gonna take me away from the energy that I'm gonna give this. Um, I'm struggling. I'm struggling a bit. <laughs> well, well, your teammate uh, Huaga Smith might not be in the same situation after getting home from the World Cup and having a good time. And the great news for those guys is that Rasi Erasmus is back on board as head coach, back on board as head coach, (laughs) has gone back to his proper title, whatever you call it, he's back. And wow, that is so cool for them because when you think of people like Sir Alex Ferguson, Craig Bellamy in the NRL, you know, um, people throughout the Crusaders dynasty, like Scott Robertson, you don't have to move away once you've been successful. You can actually implant yourself for long-term success. Oh, and I just think, man, he loves what he does. Like, and he, he, we've spoken at length how he is his own man, and I sort of admire that about him. 
Um, and the exciting thing is, is the story that can be told over the next four years of him looking to do a three-peat, whether he's director of rugby or whatever, like we all know he was a big part of um, you know, both those World Cup wins and man, you wouldn't put it past him. If there's ever a bloke that could probably go three in a row, it would be him. Yeah, more well, time, pushing the boundaries, finding new ways <laughs> to win, doing all those kind of things. Bryn, what I'm interested in is a person who's gone back to back to back to back to back to back to back in your time. How easy is it to continue to push those boundaries, to continue to stay on top and to continue to be motivated and get out of bed to do it all over again? Looking at my time with the Crusaders, with Razor, he always had the mindset around being a step ahead and never been able to be um, complacent in terms of, of the way we were going. And so I think when you get into that kind of mindset of being complacent and think it's just going to happen, that's when you start to get into trouble. And that's probably the messages that I got from Razor going from back to back. We always had to be a step ahead. So I can imagine that Russi will be doing the same. We look at him off the field, the initiative that he used with the red light um, systems and being able to um, try and push the push the laws. And so he's an innovator and um, he'll be looking to try and be a step ahead that I think that, um, you know, Razor has done similar things at the Crusaders. And I'm imagining that the long-term planning has already begun. He's probably three years into his plan for the next one. Yeah, I, I think he would have potentially known this was this is where he was going. Like he, the, the thing is, is and like, um, you know, Bryn said is, the best coaches do front load a lot of this so that when it comes to actually when you're going and living through it, the, the plan's there. It's just about executing and staying on task. So, um, And I think you're right. He, he's an innovator. He likes to be first, not just in winning, but he likes to do things first. He likes to lead the way and, and, and be that step ahead um, like Razor. So um, it's an exciting time for South African rugby. Um, and I think the, the public will be... The happiest. We know that their fans are pretty passionate, and um, they they all love Rusty. So it's it's a it's a big win for them. Yeah, I think it's an exciting time for world rugby too to have someone of that ilk continue to push the game as far as he can push. Not go off and get huge amount of money that I'm sure he could make anywhere he liked. Mm. You know, to stick with the team he loves and to do the thing he loves. That's super cool. On the other hand, Eddie has resigned. Eddie Jones, Australia go their separate way. And of course, the quote machine himself has said a few good things over the last few days. Uh, coaching a team is a bit like a marriage. You need commitment from both sides, uh, was one of them. Uh, he came in for a smash and grab, but got the smash and no grab. <laughs> <laughs> he said he has no offer on the horizon, um, but he saw that Australia rugby didn't have the financial or political resource to help themselves get to where he wanted them to go. And so he walked away, which is... Quite a different approach to the Rasi Erasmus approach in that what he said is they're not going to give me the, the chance to do this with a lack of resources. So I'm not going to try to make it happen. I'm just going to walk away. Yeah, I struggle with it a little bit because wouldn't you do your due diligence before taking the yeah. role? And that's not what he was saying pre-World Cup. Like, it looks like a little bit of a dummy spit and mm. hasn't got um, the results or got things his own way. So he's pulling pin because... Um, you, you don't get to where he's got to without, um, yeah, as I say, doing the work before accepting the job and, and understanding what, I suppose, uh, positives and what, what areas that will be a, a challenge um, for him. So, uh, But, look, I don't think it's a bad thing for Australian rugby. Mm. No, and it's no slight on Eddie. Um, he's got a very um, strict coaching style and I'm not sure that it's probably going to be fit for purpose, <laughs> to use that term, uh, with with this um, next generation coming coming through that do uh, really like the idea of uh, being part of the decisions and, and being part of, I suppose, where, where they want to go to in the journey. And, and it's about taking them on that journey, not so much, um, you know, always the stick, a little bit more balance between the stick and the carrot. <laughs> I, was about to, I was wondering where you're going with the stick, like, <laughs> if you don't get it right. Um, so, yeah, Phil Warbrenner, the CEO of Australian Rugby, said, look, um, he understood where he was coming from. He was relatively happy with the direction of Aussie Rugby, despite what he said about the money. They're looking to separate high performance and the community game and work in the direction they want to work. Where do they go from here? I think there's probably one or two directions that they can go. I think, you know, whether they have the infrastructures in and around their coaching resources in Australia, whether it's good enough to the international level. Now, I'm not too sure. I obviously don't do my due diligence around knowing every single department when it comes to the coaching resources in Australia. But you have to think Stephen Larkham, he's been in and around that kind of environment before. And, you know, as a guy that's had success with the Brumbies. And then, you know, there's also another guy that's just finished the World Cup with New Zealand, Ian Foster. I don't know whether he'd want to put himself through that, but, you know, he's a guy that could be able to, 
to go and coach Australia if they want to go outside of um of Australia. But um, I can't imagine Fozzie wanting to do that. But um, yeah, with it, I'm not too sure the direction they are going to go because I think with Phil Wars, or what, like what else is he supposed to say around putting on a smile? He's got to put a smile on his face and be able to show that you know Australia, the powers that be, that you know they're in, they're going forward in the right direction. But they're in a bit of turmoil, and it's happened not only just this year for the World Cup being um, the end result, but the last 20 years, it's been talked around a lot of, over in Australia around they haven't had it right and it's kind of come to a head now. So um, it's really, I think, just stripping it really right down around what's really important for Australia rugby and then, you know, committing to that process, not just for the, the next cycle of World Cup, but, you know, future and all with the Wallabies moving forward. You get the sense Phil War is turning a lot more of a focus towards the community. And so you'd have to think, to me, that's a guy that has a mindset of um, he, he would want to go internal and he would want to align himself with a with a coaching group, because I don't think it's just the head coach, it's actually the coaching group that have probably contributed to Australian rugby. You know, you've got Dan McKellar, you've got um, Stephen Larkham and, and a number of other options. And I think those sorts of personalities are so passionate about Australian rugby, they're so passionate about the community game as well, they speak a hell of a lot about it. And, you know, you talk about being a step ahead, well, Stephen Larkin, the way he played, he was he was naturally always a step ahead, and I, I was fortunate to spend a bit of time with him at a shape of the uh, shape of the game conference with Super Rugby um, last season. And man, he he is a rugby brain, like really impressive guy. Re um, articulates his thoughts like you know really simple to understand. They they are complicated in in theory, but he can articulate them in a way that they appear simple. Um, and I think that's just how he played his he played his game. So I think he has to be definitely in the mix, whether he's a head coach or an assistant. I'm not too sure, um, but he he is Australian rugby for me. Growing up, like between George Gregan and himself, and I think if you can get that sort of figurehead um, that you know players would have grown up watching, that will listen to. He's got the runs on the board with the Brumbies. Um, it's a, it's a no-brainer. He's got a relationship with Phil War. You know, like the most successful business sport or whatever is, th there needs to have that connection. You know, between your sort of your chairman, your CEO, and your head coach, um, or whoever it is um, at that level or whatever industry you're in. And if if, you, if you've got that synergy and connection um, and clear understanding of where you want to go, so you're not going against each other, it sets everyone else up for success because they've got clarity to just fulfil their role in in that journey. Mm. Just as importantly, you probably need patience because they're in a pretty bad position right now. Yeah, they've got the talent though. Like, I know this sounds. I, I, you know, we had Geordie Barrett, who's one of um, the All Black greats, say, "Look, I think they're the dark horse for the World Cup." We were all saying that. You know, mm. I genuinely thought maybe the Eddie factor could get them up until he made his little weird selections, but. Um, I, I think they've got enough enough talent there. Yes, there has to be patience, but they've shown over the years that they have that game in them. It's just the consistency that they, they need to look for. And I think there's nothing better um, when you go on rugby teams, and Bryn, you'll be able to talk to us, and it's probably one of Ray's strengths, is getting players to play for something bigger than themselves and going on this journey that connects you and, and, and drives you to get out of bed and, and be your very best every day. And, and I, I love the idea and I love the way Phil War is really talking about this community game and re-engaging with ex-Wallaby greats and, and you know, going all the way down to grassroots to sort of grow within and, and take it up. And I, I don't think there's anything more empowering than trying to, one, you know, do it for your community and take your country with you. And if I think they can get that right, we know Australians, man, like they, they, they have got the ability any day under the sun, but if they can get that mindset and, and go for something bigger than themselves, I, I think you get the right people, the, the, the results will come because they put a framework around you that allows you to be your best and, you know, you get that yeah, clarity, yeah. you know? I agree. I think, you know, with Razor as the example, you know, the theming element, you know, a yeah. lot of teams are doing theming around the bigger mindset around to drive your year and not be kept, you know, it doesn't become mundane and there's a purpose for every single day when you come into the, into training. But I think also the coaches under that are very, very important. You know, Razor's very good at around the mindset and the culture, but then the, 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 the assistant coaches are very good at around the things that he's not so strong at when it comes to the attention to detail, attention to detail, which is really, really important when it comes into your game plan. Because, you know, when you put under the most amount of pressure, the amount of time that you're spending the detail within your coaching units, within your strategy meetings, within the players in and around having those chats, you get in the detail, the purpose and the bigger picture around why you're doing this. And so, and if you consistently keep doing that on a day-to-day -day basis, then you're going to get results in. That's not to say that Australia are going to get it right, but if you start putting pillars in place, like for the example of Razor and that, then you're going to see a better Australian team because they're playing for a bigger reason why for themselves. 
they've got the detail in and around their coaching because they've got great coaches and then you're able to pull trigger with those two with those two things the two things there and they can't leave it to chance like when you've got a bigger person you've got to, you've got to live it every day that sets them up for success in test match rugby because when the pressure comes on their most rehearsed action or behavior will come to the floor so if they live that high standard and expectation you know monday to friday every week every every month leading up into all these test matches, then you know when the pressure comes on and the squeeze comes on a test match, that's what's going to rise, mm. not anything else. So you've got to, to, to be able to perform under pressure, you have, to, you have to put the work in that allows you to just be more automated when that pressure actually comes on. Sorry, and just lastly on that, I think you know it's all and well having you know the coaches that are driving that, but then at the same time, the leadership group with whoever that's going to be for the Australians, you've got to live there and you've got to be aligned with the coaches. And so, you know, the coaches can be give you the greatest messages, they can give you the greatest mindset. But if your leaders aren't driving that and you're not aligned and you're not together on that, then players can feel that and you don't get the whole buy in and then you don't get the resource, um, the ability to be able to then play very well considering that. So, yeah, it's going to be something that's looked upon for the Wallabies moving forward, I reckon. Mm -hmm. Michael Checker was able to do it for a brief period of time before the 2015 World Cup. It kind of fell apart after that. Rassi Erasmus, 2017, they were an absolute mess under Alistair Kutsir. That Albany atrocity um, was was just one of the worst things you've ever seen. But within two years, they turned it around using all of those ideas. Yeah, and I think what the best coaches do is they actually make it like it's the player's choice, whereas... You, coaches like potentially, and I, and I think he's made good adjustments, Checker, probably from his original stance, but Checker or Eddie Jones, is it's their way or the highway. Mm. And it's it, you don't have that autonomy as, as a player, and, and that's why it wears you down mm. because you're just constantly, you know, getting berated at, and it's not inspiring. It's like, yes, it has a spike mm. at the start because everyone's reacting, everyone wants to keep their, their spot in the team, but it just wears thin. And the problem is, is when the pressure comes on, if you... If you're a main leader in an organisation or, or in a team and you're yelling all week and then you yell at half time, it's just white noise. Mm. You know, it's about utilising the other coaches throughout the week so that when the pressure comes on, the big dogs talks, people listen. Yep. And I think that's, that is the critical piece is, is making it like the player's baby to own so that they can just, you know, sort of be that guide like a Russie. Like, man, those players, you look at the way they look at him and you look at how he stands at the back. You know, he's not looking to lift trophy. You know, like he's genuine when he says it's about them and, and them driving their own destiny. And I, it's no secret that those, are, you know, Phil Jacksons, what, you know, Alex Ferguson's, that they, they all make it the player feeling like, or the players feeling like they're in control of their own destiny and, and the decisions around that, and that they're just going to be, I suppose, like an orchestrator to allow them to live it. And, and it's successful because at the end of the day, they can't go out on the field for them. You know, you, you actually you actually need to own it because you've got to go do it. Jeez, we went down a rabbit hole we there. Did, we did. It reminded, me actually of a, it reminded me of a question that we got a couple of weeks ago um, aimed at you, actually, from a guy called Utah Moimalo um, from New Zealand. And he said, why isn't Jipper going into coaching? He's got uh, the rugby brains for it. We'll make a great coach at Harbinick. I want to keep my hair. You want to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I've done my coaching ticket... Um, you know, and I'd like to help out. Like a good mate of mine's taking over um, Takapuna Prems um, mm. this season, so I really want to get back down there at, at Clubland and, um, I suppose, um, you know, offer a little bit at, at that Premier level. Because I, look, I love the game. I'm passionate about it. Mm. Um, but I've just got other dreams outside of um, being a professional coach that I want to achieve. So uh, I think that club space is probably as far as I'll go. As a as a resource coach too, <laughs> I might add it. <laughs> what do you reckon, Bruno? Do you think that uh, the, the the stick? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm definitely more of the carrot. If, more of the carrot. If, if you'd got me when I when I was first coming through, I was very much the stick. But I've learned from those mistakes. <laughs> I, I, as Bryn can attest to, I've softened as, as I've gone through my uh, like my, I suppose my captaincy mm. career. <laughs> The players respect coaches when they go through their preparation. And if you look at Jip, you know, you've known him long enough now, Ross, the preparation and how deep he goes in and around that. Um, and he also cares about, you know, I think he'd be great for North Harbour, I think. And he'd be great to be able to get back in that space. And I've seen him come back come back to the res to do resource coaches with our hookers and that. But, yeah, I think he'd do a great job. But, again, he's yeah. bigger He's bigger than the game now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's bigger than uh, the uh, game. Yeah. I like to see my family too. I've seen how hard it is on coaches <laughs> as well firsthand. <laughs> I don't know if I'm up for it. <laughs> I like cuddling my daughter at night too much. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Well, there's your answer. Maybe.
Maybe not. Is that, was that? Takapuna Prems, reasonable Takapuna scope. Prems coming in, line out We've actually had a bunch of questions about, uh, well, not so much resource coaching, but hooking in the last little while. I think every week for the last four weeks, we've had a question about hookers basically standing over the line on the sideline. Oh, when uh, they're throwing in. When they're throwing in. Um, and whether or not that is legal. Can you give a little bit of so you, on that? You, you've just got to be on the paint. Yeah. You have to be on the paint. So a lot of hookers will put their heels on the paint and their feet will be in the field. I was always one that stood behind the line just because that was my range. That's how I grew up throwing. Mm. So if I tried to... A lot of the people that try to, I suppose, creep forward a couple are, are normally um, hookers that probably struggle for distance in their throw. And whereas um, people that have probably got had too many wheat bicks, they almost stand a little bit further back uh, to, control, to control the distance. So you can normally tell... Um, you know, I suppose, uh, where, where a hooker is, mindset is. And I, I always think it's, um, you, you're a little bit hesitant if you're trying to creep forward. That, that, was, that was always my mentality in my own head, so I always, like, prided myself on being well behind that line. Who's an example that you've seen, that you see the hookers that uh, do more that? More and more, a lot of the younger hookers coming through, they've, they've got their heels on the paint. Um, you know, if you, if it's just, it's a, I think it's just a different coaching. Like that, maybe they've just been taught through that sort of pathway system. Mm. I'm not too sure, but I mean, we were definitely. I mean, when I started, it was one foot in front of the other. It wasn't even square feet. So <laughs> it was, it was, it was uh, definitely well behind the line there. Well, you only need a blade of grass, right, to be out. Yeah. So you only yep. need a blade of grass to be throwing in. Yeah, exactly. And and mate, on the line, yeah. No, there is no rule that says you can't. You've just got to be on the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've had a few questions on that. One was from Zane Kirk, who also wanted to talk about halfbacks and crooked feeds into the scrum. <laughs> and, uh, there's a lot of chat about that. People aren't happy about, I suppose, why those things aren't micromanaged the way that other things are micromanaged. You know, we've got TMOs talking about everything, but halfbacks are putting it under the lock's feet these days. Yes, I think even, man, it was pretty bad. I think one time, Jipper, we actually didn't even do the hook back at North Harbour. I think we... We had one year where I was just chucking it right under your leg like Lee, and it wasn't even getting penalised until we played Canterbury round six, and the 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 the, the, the loose forwards just saying he's just chucking it underneath his foot, and then we kind of went into the, we went to the red a little bit, but um, yeah, I just think there's just so much things in and around the scrum at the moment, but I think it's definitely one thing that us halfbacks going into a scrum, we know that you know we're putting it on the hook is pretty much on his foot, on his heel, and then you know if you don't have a dominant scrum, you're kind of leaning towards not being straight inside the tunnel. And you're kind of going pretty much over, pretty much past the, I guess the stomach of the prop um, to 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 put the, to put the ball in. So yeah, it's something that could definitely be put um, some laws over because yeah, I don't put the ball in straight. I'll just I, be honest, I don't put the ball in straight at all. I don't think they need to. I think it's a good thing for the shape of the game. Like it, like why why are we looking for another reason? Like all I hear is complaints about bloody scrums. So <laughs> why are we like? Who cares? Like, it's, it's, it's changed over time. Like, it's like anything, um, you know, at the start of a season, it will be like five key focus areas and the refs are just zoomed in. And I remember a few years back, I think it was that year you were talking about, Bryn, after that, because mm. we were just being ridiculous, they, they were like, right, we've, got to, we've actually <laughs> got to sort this out. And they zone in on it. And now it's like, teams have got so good. I don't think it is that crooked. It's just that relationship between the half and the hooker can be so quick that strike and it shoots right to the back because you've got that channel one that it appears that way but you don't have to be in the middle you can actually stand towards um hmm. don't police it just let's like, like i just feel like the scrum just doesn't need any more attention we just need to get in and out or or scrum for a penalty whatever i don't i don't think we should look for another stoppage in our game okay so question let's say you're not going to feed it crooked you're going to stand slightly closer to your um prop and feed it straight what actually is the rule what is the guideline what are the conversations you have with refs during the game and other halfbacks because i'm sure they're telling you all about it as well about the ball going in. The refs might come up to and say, like, look, put the ball in straight. But to be honest, through my career, I don't think I've really had a ref that's come up to me and saying, put the ball in straight, because I think you'd have a look at probably the last two to three years. It's a channel one hook. And so, you know, if you've got a very good relationship with your hooker, you're pretty much just put it, you're just pretty much rolling the ball in maybe like half a meter and it's back straight away. So it's really hard for the ref to see the ball in the direction that it does go. But the good halfbacks tend to have a really good feel where the scrum's going. Like, you know, the Crusaders, we tend to have a very good dominant hit, so we'd get the hit going forward. And so 
sometimes you don't even actually wait for the ball to be hooked. You just put the ball in because you've got the dominance of the scrum and you walk over the ball, um, which actually isn't legal, but um, you know, the good halfbacks and the good teams would understand that going into games. So um, I guess the only real difference for me was that I'd kind of, like I said, I'd probably, probably go towards my prop. And if it's a really good hit, I'm putting that ball in as soon as we've got a really good hit. If we don't, like you look at Fafta Clerk's example, they were losing that battle. You don't put the ball in and then you're able to then reset and hopefully you can get the dominance again with the, with the scrum. Now, one of the things we've been getting as the World Cup's gone on is more and more emails. This week we got 50-odd emails. So we can't get through all of the questions, but we'll try our best to get through as many as possible. To build on this latest subject is one of my favourite things about the emails we get are really left-field suggestions. <laughs> And so talking about the ball going into the scrum, crooked or whatever, Ian Barnard4963 within the YouTube comment section says, why doesn't the ref put the ball into the scrum? Then it'll go in straight. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't know how much time halfbacks and hookers spend on hooking the ball and getting that timing spot on. <laughs> like, seriously, like, gym, in gym sessions, like, I'd grab... You know, if it was Harbour, I'd be grabbing Bryn, or if it was, you know, at the Blues, I'd be grabbing Augie or whatever. And you, know, you lean up against a, a Swiss ball and you put the cones where the prop will and you literally do like 10 and then you pick them up again. You, you'd do like 50 or 60 during a gym session in, in, your, in between your rest time. It's, it's like... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's quite a, yeah, it's, it's like a pretty um, slick operation. Like, you can't be poor at it. Like, you, you will not be picked, especially as a hooker, if you can't get that strike to the back. If you've got, like, a Hoskins tutu or something <laughs> at number eight, and you, you, if, you, if that channel is not slick and you don't spend the... It's like my golf game. I don't spend enough time on it, so it's poor. So, <laughs> you know, like, you've got to spend the time on it so you get that, that, that channel really slick. You're not going to give Ben O'Keefe a call and say, hey, Ben... I just needed to come down. Yeah, well, you'd have to. Weekend. Yeah, well, you'd have to. You literally <laughs> say, how, "What's our timing here, Ben?" <laughs> that could be a career for you post footy, though, Bryn. Teaching referees how to put the ball into the scrum. No, I've already done enough teaching. I've gotten a lot of trouble myself as a halfback, so um, <laughs> yeah, they'll probably still hear in my voice. So I'm going to stay out of that lane. And Would you say teaching or riffing? <laughs> <laughs> Probably a hybrid. Probably a hybrid, eh? That's the way I'd probably go. Probably a hybrid would be best for me. Explaining the laws to the refs. Uh, yeah, yeah, constantly. Sometimes getting it right. Oh, mate, I loved it when he was on my team, but my God, it was annoying when you were playing him. <laughs> the Crusaders are coming to oh, town. Oh, yeah. Just chirping the whole time. <laughs> just spend more time playing, I I, old mate. I think I broke Nick Mayhew one year, actually. <laughs> I think I broke him. He was, I think he was at the Brumbies at one time and he was going up against Owen Franks. This was my first year down there and I just broke him. I think, oh, I said, what did I say? I said, Nick, you just can't, you can't scrummage, mate. You're not up to it, mate. You're going up against an all-back. <laughs> You're going down, mate. Yeah. Every time. And I just, you know, Nedge. Oh, you know, mate. Nedge, um, just thinking, oh, no, 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 no. He would have just looked at you like, what are you going on about, mate? <laughs> Oh, good times. <laughs> All right. Well, while, while we're talking about our referee involvement, I've got an email here from Greg Workman, who's a Scottish man living in New Zealand, uh, married very well into uh, with a nice Kiwi wife. So that was one of the first things he said in the email. Um, so well done to both of you. There is a lot of talk around too much TMO involvement, he says. I would like to hear what your opinion is on referees overcoaching players during the 80 minutes when the ball is live. In particular telling players to get back on side. For example, Eben, when he was preparing 
to block a box kick or a blitzing defence, he's getting told Ibn Etzebeth get back. Johnny Sexton addressed this with Ben O'Keefe in the Ireland-South Africa game. During the pool stages, he says, I know we want to be a free-flowing game, but you can't keep on telling them what to do and not give a penalty. What do you make of that? Because it's interesting. I agree. Yeah. I, I think, look, it's their job. I, I always say it, I think a point of difference for a player is knowing the laws and, mm. and being really astute around it. And we joke about Bryn, but right, a guy studies the, the notebook so that you can get that rusty sort of mindset of just trying to win that little 1%. And, and I think, you know, if, if they're offside, they're offside, ping them. Mm. Or don't say, like, don't ping them, whatever your interpretation is. But, yeah, I, I don't think they need to be constantly yelling. Um, the only probably time is around the breakdown to get the clarity around hands off. Um, because if they don't say anything then, then you really are, you sort of guessing. And I think that could get quite messy. So I don't mind the breakdown and the way they police that. But... Um, anything else in and around um, the field, I think, should go. And I've, I stressed the TMO thing last week. I thought Super Rugby um, last year, where it was the ref had to ask the TMO for help rather than the TMO constantly going down. I just think that's the way forward, and, and we just have to accept human error. As a halfback, probably the position that's going to be most affected by a change to something like that, where people are constantly being told to get back, et cetera, the speed of the ball coming to you and all those things? You know, the really good referees will, you know, they'll make good decisions around talking to the players, like we're not rolling away. Like rolling away is a big one that's kind of happening. And if they are making an effort, you know, they're telling them that's good work and they're communicating that because I think it is quite hard to, as a decision maker, there's so many variables in and around the breakdown area. Um, but the TMO, I think we touched on it last week, even, you know, Steve Hansen came out saying that we, he wants to get rid of the TMO. Now, look, I don't think we can go to that extreme. I think the Super Rugby format was great. Um, the, the referees would make the decisions, and if there's anything serious, um, then they'd come in over the top, um, asking them for the kind of TMO to, to come in. So, yeah, I think, again, it was quite... It's quite sad to see, I think, in, in the World Cup with how it was talked around TMO and Wayne Barnes and all that, and it's, it takes away from what the players and what the spectacle should be, the players winning the game and making decisions. And for me as a player as well, I can I can accept if a, if a ref just makes a mistake because we're all humans. Players in ourselves, we make mistakes constantly in trainings and, and in games, so we can't expect them to always make the right call, but it's sometimes you want the refs to have a really good feel and you don't feel that the TMO stop coming in and stopping the game. Um, the flow of the game isn't great, um, so... Yeah, that's my that's my thoughts on it. But one of the ironies of it is Johnny Sexton. He loves to tell people what to do, yeah. doesn't he? Um, and we've got another question here from uh, Your or Pong. I think that's how you said. I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, hopefully, I got that right. Uh, he said via email that it seems that players are staying down with the slightish brush. You know, referring to let's say football players diving, etc. More and more players are shouting at the ref when something doesn't go right. He thinks that. Only the captain is allowed to do it, but it seems players are shouting at them left, right and centre. Is that what we want to see in the game? No. But I think in the big occasions, you, you know, you're going to see more and more of it. And especially at international rugby, these are the best of the best. And the best of the best will look for every angle to win a game. Yeah. And that's just a reality. And, and I, I don't think you're going to change that because that's, that's the reason they're there. That's their strength. They're relentless in, in their pursuit of that victory. And I just don't know how that... The only way it stops is a ref being really firm. Like, players will adjust. Everything's on. Everything's up for grabs in that first 10 minutes, I always believe. You, you, that's when you're feeling the ref, up, ref out and they set the tone. Once they've set the tone, then you, you know sort of where the, where the boundaries are. And if, if they don't want that, then it has to be done. I think in the first five ten minutes, because if you try to do it by the fortieth minute, you, you you're up you're up uh, that creek. <laughs> On the other side, it is gamesmanship. You know what I mean? Like you'd be understanding if you're going into that World Cup, right? Knowing how the the head knocks and how the kind of the way that it's been refed, you'd know. You look at a lot of the games. You know they were pointing out. You know hit to the head, and then they'd go down because obviously knowing that um, it's going to be a red card offence or a yellow card offence. And I know that's not in the spirit of the game, but you talk around 1%ers, and if you can get a, a Sam Kane or a Sia Khaleesi off for 10 minutes or a red card, based in and around that to get the, the refs um, to, to notice that, you know that comes back to the gamesmanship and being able to um, try win a test match. But it goes against the spirit of the game, but you know players are smart enough. Jip, you know, you'll be able to try and weasel your way in and to try and get a, a yellow card or a red card or something like that to try and um, you know dictate a game and, and get it your, to go your way. I do think the one thing that confused me a little bit at the World Cup, especially with the focus on 
um, concussion in, in our game is how little um, HIA was used mm. when there was like yellow cards or red cards for you know shoulder to heads or whatever. So I did find that strange because you'd think because there, there, there was a time, well definitely when I was playing, you had to get a, you had to get the balance right of milking because if you got as struck in the head, there was no guarantee that you could come back on. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So mm. you, if you do Hollywood it and then you go off and then you, you don't nail your HIA for whatever reason, that's you done for the game. Like, so there, I do think that element could sort it out, is like you have to go for an HIA. If, you've, if there's a penalty or a yellow card, that player must go for an HIA, and then maybe you'd get less Hollywooding because you wouldn't want to risk, like, if you're a key player, and if you're a coach and there's a key player, you're not going to want to you know, risk getting that wrong mm. because then yeah. they're out for the whole 80. Severus did that one game, and obviously trying to trying to milk it got um, got put on an HIA, and then got got sent off for ten minutes because you know obviously was trying to get the the yellow card and the red card, uh, but obviously didn't work out, and then obviously got taken out for the HIA. So yeah, I think the the balance in and around that, and like you can actually go a step deep in and around if you do get a head, if you if you do it right, you just got to make sure that you don't say that it's your head if you are going to milk it. You've got to say it's your shoulder. Where you've got a little neck, and so that's the kind of gamesmanship that you can do if you're trying to get it away um, to try to get the result like that. Of course, the WXV, the inaugural WXV, came to a close on the weekend. England getting revenge. 33-12 over New Zealand for New Zealand's win in the final last year of the Rugby World Cup. The Black Ferns going down by quite a long shot, Jipper. I think that's how we expected England to play, and it was a formidable team doing what they do best. Yeah, it was a set-piece masterclass. Um, you know, not helped, I suppose, with a few penalties that allowed England to get uh, the territory that they had, especially in that first 30 to 35 minutes. Um, you know, Black Ferns sort of came back, they bounced, you know, hit just before half-time and, and, and straight after, and you thought they were back into this. But I think the damage had been done in terms of emptying the tank. Um, in that first 30, they were defending a hell of a lot. They were in malls, the scrums, and you know they just sort of ran out of legs in the end, and, and England ran away with it. Mm, mm. Why could New Zealand not handle it this year the way that they could handle it last year? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Like it, they they initially did a lot of work um, quite well at that mall, but they ended up um, probably overachieving on one side. And when you overachieve on one side in a mall, is you start pushing teams around the corner. And you could see that you know, England were patient, they were really long in the length of their mall. And then once they got around that corner, there was just no stopping it. So um, I don't actually, th I think their system was, was right, but maybe their entry point of where they were hitting was too heavy on the um, back end of the lineout which always pushed England around around that front area. And, and, and to be fair, like, I think we did some great D. It was just relentless, and, and they were eventually always going to get over. And as I say, I think that first 30 to 35 minutes um, dictated the result of the game, and it was sort of chasing tails from there. It was always going to be a testing year for the Blackburns, wasn't it, with so many of those stars from the World Cup, the seven stars in particular, making their way elsewhere, you know, the rebuilding of the depth of that squad and, and, and having to learn to go again. You know, maybe the forward pack was full of quite a few of those players from, from that team, though. Yeah, and there was still, I mean, there's still a bit of new, new blood. Like, if you look at uh, Kate Henwood, you know, a loose head prop, um, a little bit of a change there. She, she's sort of new into it, you know, still a little bit of a mixing and matching in the, in the back five as well. So uh, there was obviously some big um, stars from the Rugby World Cup, but um, I think, you know, new coaching group, um, understanding you know different systems and way they want to play and the way they sort of behave um, in and around that environment I think you know they'll, they'll be happy with um, you know at, at least being in the contest to win they won't be happy for, probably because it's two losses you know to, to France and England but um, that, that was something personal about that England performance wasn't there like from from the World Cup final so uh, they, they certainly were woman possessed and, and they got the job done but there's a lot to be positive about going into next season. What happened to France was bizarre though wasn't it? Yeah um, but that is French rugby <laughs> a little bit you know like they, they are they are sort of um, you know hot one day and, and, and cold the next and um, I think um, I suppose the most impressive thing is is you know, for the confidence it will give to someone like the Wallaroos, you know, yeah. like they haven't really been in the contest of the Laurie O'Reilly for, for a long time and 
um, you know, having that result will now give them the confidence that hopefully they can do it on a more regular basis. And that's the point of WXV in the end, isn't it? For teams like Australia and Canada to have a crack against France, develop that kind of know-how and, and develop a winning culture against top-level teams. Yeah, and I, I just think some new players came of age for the Wallaroos like, and, and probably got the belief in themselves, especially their midfield. I thought they were, they were exceptional. Um, in that game against France. And if they can get that platform, they've actually got some good, powerful ball carriers up front. It's just been more consistent or probably around the, the accuracy around their set piece. And they did that this day, but also they won collisions and got the offload game going. So we've seen um, in the female game, that, you know, the offload game and, and probably not being so focused on the kick strategy. Mm. Um, it sort of does lead to the success that, that we've seen. And, and England can still play that way. Yes, they dominated um, up front, but man, like a player like Kildun, like that that try, she was only just out. Like that was like she's a freak of a player. I, I really enjoy watching her play. Yeah, she is absolutely superb. So we look at next year's uh, women's game. We're looking at an extended Opiki. We're looking at the Pack Four, Laurie O'Reilly, and the next WXV tournament. There's plenty there. That that schedule is starting to be solidified. We're going to see progress. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're going to see a bit of depth because you know um, squads will be a little bit bigger in Opiki and hopefully with the more games, there's that uh, I suppose more time in and around that sort of professional environment. Yes, it's not full time, but uh, th those steps are slowly going in the right direction to hopefully what will be a full calendar uh, for not only the Black Ferns as full time athletes that that next year down. Why don't we take a little bit of a look forward and back on this year before we end the programme. Speaking of Severisa, a guy that we'd like to see a lot more of next year on the field after some injury problems this year. Our awards section. World Players of the Year to start with. Uh, Jipper, you know, we obviously saw Adi Savio was named officially. Both men and women, who's your World Player of the Year? Um, I'm, I'm going to stick with Artie for the, for the male one because I just think he's been so consistent and, and I think he deserves his time in the spotlight because I think he's missed out um, unfairly in previous seasons. And I'm going to go a bit left field and this is a little bit of recency bias but I've, I, I'm a big fan of Kildana. I just really like watching her play. I, I really enjoyed her through the World 15. So um, for me, just as a fan, um, she, I, I just liked her game and the impact and, and, and just the raw speed. Mm. Like out and out gas um, is, is great to watch. I might a couple. I think we can go past Artie and, and that, but I think, look, Evan Itzabeth and Bundy Aki were probably the two guys that I thought. Um, and I think if Bundy Aki gets through that quarterfinal stage, I think he's probably the world player of the year based around his performance at the Rugby World Cup. And I guess, you know, the transformation that he's had in 12 months, you know, you look at the tour that he came in with New Zealand, wasn't starting, was struggling to get some game time and then to get where he is right now, you'd arguably have to say he's the best midfielder in the world. And then I think um, Makali Tu'u uh, for the Women's Player of the Year. Man, watching that game against England, man, Jip, you talk around contact area, what she does for that Black Ferns team um, is absolutely immense. And I know that, um, you know, she obviously, they obviously didn't get the result, but man, that's one person I thought I was thoroughly impressed, especially against the England game and um, the, the series that she's had for WXXV as well. Brent, stick with you. Let's go in New Zealand. New Zealand Players of the Year, both men and women. I think Artie Sevier is probably the best men, best player in New Zealand, I think, for a long time. And it's great for him to be able to get the world rugby to get that acknowledgement in, uh, on the world stage. And then I think for the for the woman, um, like I said, Liana McKelly uh, too, I thought her performances through the WXV was outstanding. And unfortunately, they didn't get the result on the weekend. But for all the things that I just said, I thought she was the best woman. Um, and that loose ball trio as well for the, for the Black Fizz. She was definitely one to watch and really enjoyed watching her play this year. Scott Barrett, for me, in terms of the whole year, the way he was for the Crusaders and the way he was for the All Blacks, is, it's, uh, he was phenomenal. Um, and one of the hardest positions in the game, he, he must have his week so down-packed, but also his recovery, because his availability um, is, is testament to all that work he does, because he doesn't seemed to get injured, I don't want to jinx him, but like he, he, he had a hell of a year. And then um, I've really enjoyed the, the development and the performance of Sylvia Brunt in the second five position for the Blackfins. I think she's been um, sensational, even the other night, that cutout ball, um, her defence, um, and her combination she's building with Duplessis is, is um, yeah, really exciting. Okay, what about emerging player of the year in New Zealand? Um, I've gone Taranaki's first five, Josh Jacob. Um, he is he is something to watch. I really enjoyed watching him over the NPC. I don't know if he's in a super squad, 
Um, but man, if there's a team that goes down, um, I'd love to see him up in the Blues. He's got a great relationship with um, Stephen Petafeta, obviously from Paranaki, and um, you know he was schooled in Auckland. Um, not doing my blues recruiting <laughs> live on television, but uh, he's he's got a bright future. He's, he is he is really really good all round. Like he, he can carry hard to the line. Um, his kicking game. He got a number of 50-22s. He was outstanding. Um, and then my female one is obviously Vahokolo. I you know obviously transitioned. Um, I'm not being biased to the blues, but she's she's been exceptional in Opiki and she's continued it for me. What about for you, Brenna? Um, I had George Bell actually as a hooker. I think he's an emerging guy that I think with Dane Coles leaving, he's a he's a he's a young guy that's going to be able to I think has a massive future in terms of the next World Cup cycle. And you know he's very explosive. Um, obviously, is very very young, but I think has a lot of potential in terms of that um, that hooking hooking um, place. And then I think for the for the girls, I've got Lucy Jenkins. I know she didn't get a lot of game time, but just going back to Muds too, I think the way that um, that loose four trios for the Black Ferns, and I know there's Kennedy Simons and Michaeli Tu'u there, but I think she's definitely one to watch in the time that she'll play in picky with Matatu, and then hopefully um, continue to keep getting more test matches. But I think she's got all the elements of a great loose forward moving forward for the Black Ferns. Now, probably most important of all of the prizes, Bryn, is the Bryn Hall Low Impact Training Bib for Veteran of the Year. Uh, who are you giving that to? I've got Botia from Fiji. I think um, with his age and the way that he plays for that Fijian side, and I think with La Rochelle, I know he's obviously um, at the back end of his career, but man, as a Fijian, you could probably say he could play another three, four years with the way that he plays, and um, especially at La Rochelle and for the Fijians as well. So, but yeah. I'll go Sam Whitelock. You'll go Sam Whitelock? He, he just, surely, he, he's earned the right to just get that bib on and, and not hit too many rucks or do too much contact during the week. Yeah, um, this season, so he he's, he he would be right up there. I think Johnny Sexton might be another one. Mm -hmm. I reckon he could be more an orchestrator. I don't know, um, you know, how much he would have been. He he, he sort of gives me the opinion of uh, maybe like a, a quarterback in NFL, like do not touch me like, <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I'd be the sort of idiot in the team that would fly out of, <laughs> and, and touch him. But player to watch in 2024, Josh Jacob. Josh Jacob again. Jacob, yeah. Even if he's not, what about guaranteed super rugby players? I reckon he'll be there. Yeah, well, the Blues name their squad next week. Yeah, I don't know if he'll be <laughs> in, but he'll be replacement player at some point. Um, <laughs> no, he, he just, if you get the chance to watch a few of those Taranaki games, man, good player. Uh, position that New Zealand needs some, uh, some bolters in, Bryn, with the absence of both Richie Moonga and then Bowden Barrett's away for most of super rugby, right? There is some chance there. Definitely think so. I think it's unlucky for, for Fergus Burke, I think, considering that he had that Achilles injury, he would have been one guy that um, was looking forward to the opportunity of, um, you know, staking his claim in that Crusaders. But you've obviously got um, Lee Halfpenny that's coming in. <laughs> he's obviously not a bolter, but he's someone that's in, that is an experience. And then um, Rivers Rayhana, who I think is a great signing for the Chiefs and has made some good um, rugby with the North and Tanifar and hasn't had an opportunity a lot at the Chiefs. But with Fergus Burke not being in that, um, in that spot, you've got him there. And then I think also... You know, you've obviously got Ruben Love. I'm not too sure if they see him as a 10 or a 15, but, man, I remember when he when I played him a couple of years ago when he was at 10, he's got all that natural ability, I believe, um, to be a world-class 10. But whether he gets the opportunity there with um, with Morgan there, I'm not too sure. But um, he's definitely another guy that I think could be in and around that 10 positioning moving forward with the younger guys coming through. What do you do with Will Jordan? If you've got Lee Harpenny. He's fullback. He's he fullback. Does, he's Will Jordan's fullback. So Lee I'm, not even, gonna, I'm not even going to entertain... Harpenny does something else. Yeah, he's got to. He's got to do something else. Yeah, Will Jordan enough. is at the peak of his powers. <laughs> Lee Harpenny is a great player, but his, his glory days have probably passed him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's true. Like, like Will Jordan, like, yeah. please, I, I just need... He needs to be at 15. Yeah, it's true. It's true. He'll be at 15. He'll be at 15. There's no yeah. way he's not going to be... But they always do it at the Crusaders. They always have a player like that. They had Mike Delaney when you were there, Bryn. They always love to grab that sort of experienced player that can be that calm, composed person that can fill a spot if, you know, there's a number of injuries. OK, Bryn, before we go, bold prediction for 2024. Um, the easy one's for the Crusaders to win another title. But my bold prediction is that Razor is going to go undefeated with the All Blacks next year. I haven't had a chance to bring him up in a while. So I think Super Rugby Player of the Year, Cam Roygaard. Cam Roygaard. <laughs> Fair enough. I was actually expecting you to say Blues to win the title. Yeah. Well, which is a bold prediction. I have I have got Blues to do the double, Opiki and Super. But then I was like, <laughs> you know, um, it's just a little predictable. I think everyone expects me to think that. So it's not that bold, is it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Cam Roygaard. Very bold.
very bold with camera regard. Yeah. We're expecting plenty from him next year, especially an all-black jersey. Um, I'm sure there'll be some bolters going into that all-black squad as well. But thank you very much for joining us this year. So before we go, just a couple of things. You've really helped us out. Plenty of viewers. You've taken us over 2 million viewers on YouTube this year, over 100,000 downloads for audio pods. So it's been a big year of growth for us, so we appreciate you tuning into the show and helping us out. We went on to stand in Australia, super sport in South Africa. So it's been big for us. We really enjoy making the show and really enjoy your contributions. We would love for you to come on board and make some suggestions to us if there's anything you want as far as segments in the show, guests, topics, kinds of rugby issues you want to talk about, anything you want to know, please send them our way and we'll do what we can to make our show as good for you as you can have next year. Of course, there's plenty of thanks to go to all of the crew who've helped us out with the show. Uh, to Tia and all the directors, of course, Michael and the TDs, all our soundies, our camera people. There are too many people to mention. You start making a list and it goes on and on and on. The APs have helped us out. Uh, the operations team at Sky, the social media team, the PR team, the promos team. The Rugby Pass crew as well for their help with their posts on Rugby Pass and all of you for your emails, your comments, the videos you've sent, the links, the messages. We really appreciate it. It's been a big year for us. This is our last episode before we come back in February again. So we're going to have a bit of a summer off. That's going to be a bit of fun. Oh, it certainly will be. Yeah. I, I, I have to say thank you to all those people uh, on behalf of uh, myself and, and Brenner, but also to the Northern Hemisphere and South African uh, fans that you know engage with us. We'd love to probably contribute whatever it is that you guys are interested in from your neck of the woods. And if you've got any ideas around that, we, I mean, I'd love to be able to keep that connection going because it's been great throughout the World Cup. Yeah, it has been wonderful. It has yeah. been wonderful. Thanks to everyone. Thank you to Bryn in Japan in all hours of the day coming through. No, thanks. Thanks, guys. And it's obviously summer coming up, Jip. I look forward to seeing you in the um, in the pool, mate. You need to get a Euro pool, though. You need to get to a Euro pool. <laughs> well Just done. To to Euro well pool. done. You learned from the yeah. best, my mate. You learned from the best. So, i tell you what. Look forward to seeing the summer pool, Get your house through Barfoot and then get your Euro pool. <laughs> That's it. The question, will any of this make it through the edit? Will any of this make it through the edit? I don't know. Yeah, but will. come on. There's money in the pocket. It, need, it needs to go through, Ross. It needs I, to go through. It absolutely I, needs to go through. I thought that you were going to ask Jip about how many topless posts he's going to have on Instagram. <laughs> oh, there'll be summer. plenty of them. Don't worry but, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> the resident sex symbol here at ARP, James Parsons. So <laughs> thank you, guys. It's been another great year. It's been Cheers. a lot of fun. And thank, thank you, you Ross, for joining us. Matewa. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.